Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Today, I'll be interviewing Derek Johnson. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you'll receive alerts when new episodes are available on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, please leave me a review on iTunes or Spotify. Can you think of a defining moment in your life or a crossroad when you could look back and see how that a decision that you made impacted your life? Yes, definitely. So this will be in regards to family. So growing up, both of my parents were successful in their careers. My father was U.S. Army. He was 25 plus years. My mother is has been a kindergarten teacher over 40 years. So they were both successful in their fields. But with that being said, they grew up with a lot of family trauma. They were the oldest of multiple siblings. So they grew up seeing some wild things. So when it came to nighttime, minimum 300 nights a year between the ages of like 11 to 17, they would be drinking a lot and that rage would take over. So the first defining moment was like one of the first times that that happened where I realized that I was not the problem. There was something deeper. And I don't know if that was discernment, my consciousness, a gift, whatever it was, but something told me they're not yelling at you. They're yelling through you. So I would see it in their eyes that they were looking through their son, not at their son. So an example could be, I was always good in school, never got in trouble, never did anything. I just stayed to myself and played sports, but I realized that they didn't do the inner work or got the help that they truly needed on a deep level. So The defining moment is the first time that that happened. I was 11 years old and I remember clear as day, just something took them over. Like the family, the friends, everybody left the house. Our house in Florida at the time was always the go-to home to have get togethers at. Everything was positive, but it was always when the crowds left, when the last drink was drank, once everybody left, they would take things out verbally and physically on the youngest son, which is me. But I feel like the gift of discernment, being able to see that I wasn't the problem. So what it taught me was to stay calm in traumatic or dark moments. And I feel like that truly defined my sports career, my military career, and even just life in general, where normally when people would panic, freeze, or all that, I would be in fight mode and take care of others, or I would just simply stay calm. So I feel like that was... My gift as a child is to stay calm in those moments where most people would break down, scream, fight, do whatever. I would just be very neutral. I don't know where that came from, but that was a key defining moment. And I realized that it helped me a ton with personal, with school, career, sports, and all that, where it just always stuck out to me. I remember reading uh, Sidney Poitier's book, The Measure of a Man, and he talked about how his uh, mom threw him in the you know, the ocean and he was learning how to swim as a child and she didn't say anything. She just threw him in and he would struggle and, you know, flap around. And then his father would pick him up when he went down and give him back to his mother. And she kept throwing into the ocean until he learned how to swim. And he had different uh, interactions with his mom. He talked about how his mom was not very verbal, uh, 
you know, articulating uh, her thoughts to him or anybody else, really. Yes. And when he, uh, before he left uh, to go to Bahamas to go to Miami, he told his mother that he wasn't going to send her any money and he wasn't going to, you know, talk to her. And it's our interpretation of the things that happens to us, the story that we tell ourselves. Now, he had many different experiences with his mom, both good and bad. But for whatever reason, he held some animosity towards his mom, you know, as a teenager before he left. But they reconciled, of course, as time went on. But your interpretation of the things that happens to you, it defines whether we sink or swim. So you told yourself a story that helped propel you to some of the heights that you've gotten to today. Oh, yes, uh, 100%. And I feel like some people that have witnessed trauma, dark times, some people could call it hell, they pause for a moment before they have a reaction. So seeing it in people, it's always interesting to me, male, female, no matter what their career is, but we can usually always tell who would be the calm one. So an example would be if you're on an airplane and there's a drunk person, everyone on the airplane starts looking around to see who the potential hero will be. It's either the big guy or like the very short guy who's very calm. He just has that face and aura or that mother who just has that fire in her eyes and everybody's looking on the plane. Who's going to be the one that's going to take this guy out or strap him in a seatbelt, but it's interesting. They always look at the same people. Um, I've always paid attention to those moments where you can always tell who would be the calmest in those situations. And it's usually the quiet ones. It's never the one that's very loud and obnoxious just trying to get attention. But that's always interests me in regards to like just people watching. I was that child and that teen who was the quiet one because I was always just observing. But it comes from years of having parents throw stuff at you and screaming, you were always ready for something to happen. So being calm and very hyper aware was like a cheat code to sports career and any life scenario. And how did you avert from the anger that was displayed uh, in front of you constantly and this chaos that was presented to you? Because that was the food that was being served by your parents, whether knowingly or unknowingly by them, how much it could affect you. Obviously, you uh, were able to navigate your way through it. But how did you not latch on to the anger? Because that's what they taught indirectly. That's a great question. So I did three things. One, I would exercise. So fitness always since childhood was my passion. I always loved sports. I always loved testing the mind and the body. And I would just push myself past any pain thresholds or mental thresholds, whether it's running a few miles, whether it's lifting a certain amount of weights, doing push-ups in a certain amount of time period, holding a plank as long as I could, like whatever it was, that was my high. And I would use that and harness that energy as fuel. And I would just always say thank you in my head. I was like, oh, tonight was a dark night. My workout in the morning is going to be amazing because <laughs> I'm going to release all these emotions. Or if we had a basketball game, whatever the event was, whether it was just me by myself or whether it was a group setting, I noticed that I would harness that and use that in a positive way. Number two would be I always watch movies and read books about people that had situations way worse than mine. 
I never pretended that my situation wasn't real or didn't exist or try to overshadow it. I was just very interested in people that went through things worse. So prime example, people that grew up in Syria, I didn't have to witness bombings. If we grew up in America, we weren't, our neighborhood wasn't bombed every month. So like I would go to the very extreme and then I would look at soldiers that I knew in the military that lost a leg or an arm. And I would just look at all these different scenarios and then pop back into the present moment to say, you know what? I have both parents. That's a blessing. We have a roof over our head. We have multiple bedrooms I could sleep in. I've always had food and air conditioner. We have a screened in pool in Florida. Like I would always flip it back to gratitude rather than just a straight anger. So one, I would release it with fitness. Two, I would learn stories of people that went through things worse. And three, I would work on my faith. So that's always something that I felt just came natural. And it was always a one-on-one -on -one relationship, nothing against church or religion or anything, but I just always felt that after a workout, the mind and the body is very calm. That's when we have a deeper connection to whatever higher source someone believes in. So I would pray and I would feel God's presence and I would just speak to him. And it was always like a reminder of, hey, you're on the right path. You're calm right now because of the workout. Everything that is going on is going to be your driving force. And I just always felt like all this that's happening is going to give me the skills to connect with people more because I didn't have a connection with family growing up. So what I tell my friends and clients, I always say, I'm the best friend or the dad of groups because I'm always looking out for everyone. But the reason why I love people because the phrase, I love you, was not said in our household growing up. So my friends are always like, man, you'll do anything for us. Like you barely sleep or my clients and just strangers in general. They're like, wow, you're always really there for everyone. And deep down, it's more so because I didn't get that myself. So in a positive way, I try to give that to others. Yes, that's the story that and you were in a meditative state, really a perfect meditative state when you came down off of your workout, that calm, relaxing feeling is the easiest way to get to the subconscious mind. And you were praying and declaring things there, even if you didn't really realize what you were doing, you were transforming your life. Oh, yes, it was. It was an adrenaline rush because every time it happened, I would just start smiling and laughing after the fact. So it would be like an emotional roller coaster of a 12 hour period because I would barely sleep. Because, again, between 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., that's when the madness would happen. Minimum 300 nights a year. So I always was trained for the military. I would tell myself I barely sleep. I'm healthy. <laughs> I'm in shape. And drill sergeants are not going to bother me because Nobody's tougher than like a five foot six German mom who's in your face or like a six foot four <laughs> African-American dad who's just like screaming. So being used to that constant yelling and like physical or mental violence, I was like, oh, this is going to make martial arts, sports and the military a cakewalk. So when I got into those events, I was just the calmest one. And people were like, wow, you, you don't really stress in this. And I, and I never would bash my parents. I never even brought it up. But in my head, I was like, yeah. You guys don't know what I've seen on a day-to-day -day basis, but I wouldn't say it. I never complained or told anyone because I didn't want to bash their reputation because they're well-known in the area, in different countries, and in their field and all that. So I never once wanted to bash anyone. I just always like, kept it to myself and released it to God, released it via physical training, or released it in a positive way to always be there for others. So it was really interesting. I don't know where it came from. I truly feel that like that was a gift, but it sounds weird to say it, but I've always just been that way naturally. Like I never wanted to give people the reaction that they expect because I have friends 
and family who have been through similar things and they were very violent or they got into a legal thing. Like everybody had a different outlet. Mine was always, how can I harness this to have a calmer mind, a better body and show up for others? Because in my family, alcoholism and drug addiction is common. So I'm an extremist as well, but I always chose positive things. So like people would say, you're obsessed with fitness. I was like, no, I'm obsessed with the feeling and the mental high that I have afterwards. And then when I would tell them, like, huh, that makes sense. So I always chased that positive high that did not involve drugs, sex, alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. I just always wanted to create it with myself and then have a connection with God, the universe, whatever someone believes in. And like right now talking about this, <laughs> I have chills because I can just count thousands of nights and early mornings where I'll do that, but it would prepare myself to not be reactive in my day or reactive to life. So you help people, you mentioned you're a life coach and a trainer and you help people in companies and you have this thing you say, surviving to thriving. So what, now, this was definitely something you survived, your parents, the way they, you know, they did things and the situations they put you in. Was there anything else that you felt that you were just surviving? I I would say in regards to w- one of the defining moments, going back to your first question, was my senior year of high school. My English competition teacher mid-class we're doing a writing exercise and writing was always my outlet i was just naturally good at writing like i didn't really care about anything else i just wanted to express myself whether it was a digital media post whether it was video or just writing but he called me out of class one day he's like hey let's go in the hallway so everybody's writing or having conversations so nobody paid attention that he called me into the hallway and at first i was like okay he just wants to ask me the topic that i wrote on or whatever or why this paper is so dark compared to the other ones But that's what I was expecting. And all he said to me in the hallway at my high school, nobody was in the hallway. He looked at me. He was like, Derek, it's okay to be human. And I just kind of looked at him confused. And he said, it's okay to be human. And in that moment, I literally fell into his arms. And I'm a six-foot senior in high school, like crying in his grown grown man's arms. And I cried for like 10 minutes straight. And the door was closed. Nobody saw it. And then afterwards, he's like, you feel good? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I could tell that you were boiling and I didn't want you to snap on anyone um, because I know you have a lot going on. So remember that it's okay to be human. And that moment stands out (laughs) so much in my life. So sometimes if I feel like everything's boiling and I'm like, all right, the fitness didn't do it. The prayer didn't like I just need to release. And I teach people as well. It's like sometimes we just have to release emotions, especially as men. We're told to suck it up, suck it up, drive on, push forward, especially military. But that can cause us to have a short fuse because we haven't actually released, whether that is tears, whether that's just yelling, whether that's whatever it is, just releasing so you can be neutral again. So I'm a big component about doing natural things that get somebody back to an equilibrium where they're calm and confident rather than always being too high or always being too low. You, What you just described as well is I believe that every experience that we've had in our lives is in our physical bodies because our physical bodies is a filter. Just like anybody right now, if you go back and you can, you were just talking about a moment in high school, 
you, when you begin telling the story or talking about it, there's a physical emotion that attaches itself to that experience until you release it. Or if you go and talk about a happy moment, as you begin to talk about it, that emotion accompanies that story because it's in your physical bodies. So it's important, like you're saying, to release the negative things, those negative emotions, uh, because we have that mind-body connection. 100%. And that's why I've always focused on both mind and body. So in middle school, that was my first time that I started writing training programs for people because I was just reading every book that existed on fitness because I just wanted to learn and help others once I saw how much it helped me. And then the older I got, I would say about the age of 19, I was training people in the army and in college. I would see clients months or years after we worked together and I would see they lost the progress. And internally, I was like, ah, you didn't stick to it. But then I would flip it and say, you know what? It's my fault. I wasn't able to penetrate their subconscious or to change their limiting beliefs. Whatever it was, I wasn't able to change their mentality. So that's what inspired me to get into life coaching and learn more about psychology. And then I went from there, got certifications, just dove deeper. But now I have a very small percentage of clients that ever go backwards because we made the mental change. So it's, yeah. it's one of the most fulfilling things where an example could be on a coaching call, whether it's in person or via Zoom, my intent is not to make clients cry. But if, they, if they're about to cry or they do cry or I can see it forming, inside I'm like, yep, we made the shift. Even if we're not having a dark conversation or a sad conversation, we could just be talking about something, but it's more so, <clears throat> it's more so that they get clarity. Once you can see they have an aha moment, or the light bulb goes off, something makes sense in their past or their present, and then they just feel calmer and in control. That's my favorite thing about it because you could see it in their eyes and their whole body language, and they're like, wow, this is why this happened at 12 years old. This is why this happened in the last relationship. Like Whatever it is, those moments are life-changing. And in that moment, I know that they'll less likely go backwards because they at least have clarity on why or whatever internal dialogue they have. And then from there, we focus back on just the action steps and we change the subject, but they had that moment for a few minutes. And then days later or weeks later, they're like, hey, since our conversation, something's been different. My family's like, hey, you're much more calmer. You're way more present. You're less angry, whatever it is. And it's very fulfilling to myself, to them. And I also feel like in this space of coaching, people that have been through wild things, the darkest things, whether it's personal, spiritual or family, they heal their inner child when they help other people, not in a selfish way, but like when they see other people level up and winning and overcoming their own traumas, they heal their 11 year old version. So it's interesting. How everything is intertwined and connected. Can you think of a, a good moment where you were able to help a client? You don't have to use name, of course, but something, um, you help the client overcome something that they were struggling with. Yes. So this is right after quarantine. So this is one of my first times experiencing this with a client. So she's in a sales position, does really well on paper. Finances was great. Um, material home, like everything was going good. Everybody was inspired and motivated by her in shape, fitness wise and all that. Everything was just going good. And then I would always notice that the, the body language would change when it came to a topic of like social aspect. And then 
that you mentioned, just growing up, things happened with the father, with the mother and all that. And what it created was social anxiety. And we hear it on social media. People say they just throw it around. But if you've ever seen it with a person where it's extreme, it's totally different, where it's really prevalent. So an example is she couldn't go shopping at her favorite store or grocery store without being on the phone with a friend or a family member. Like she had to have somebody with them on the phone because of the anxiety of just like being alone in a store, not a fear that they're going to get into a violent situation. It was just like that social aspect. And then the same thing of going to a restaurant, having lunch by herself, I would challenge her after we did some more inner work, but she would start going out to eat by herself. Next thing you know, she got to know the people at her favorite restaurant, the bartender, the server, the owner, whoever it was. And then slowly but surely, she could go anywhere she wanted to in public alone and not have to rely on calling her friend just to be like, hey, I'm about to go shopping. I need you on the phone. My anxiety is high. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because I never realized how common that was because it, it was crippling because if the friend was not available to pick up the phone, she would not buy her groceries for a few days until said friend or family member was available. Then she would grocery shop because she was on the phone and could tap out of the internal dialogue. So it's very interesting. It's, it's different. Some people probably haven't heard that, or some people might be currently going through it, but that was one of my favorite scenarios as a coach to see her overcome that. And now her presentation skyrocketed her sales and just everything started coming together even more where it felt like less effort for her. She didn't have to use as much energy because she was able to control that social anxiety. Great story. Um, do you who influenced you to join the army? I know um, have family member. But was that family member uh, the person that influenced you or was it something else? It was a combination of seeing my dad always up early. So both my parents, they always woke up at four or five a.m. It was just a natural thing, like 360 or 362 days a year. I would always see them up. My mother's in the in the living room doing Tybo, Billy Blanks videos or Body by Jake back then, all those VHS tapes and DVDs, or she was in the pool. My dad would be running or in the gym. So naturally, that's just what I saw. So step one, it was my dad. Another thing would be compilation videos on the internet. I always love watching extreme training videos of special forces, rangers, boxers, pro athletes, whoever. And I would just love the adrenaline rush of like theatrical cinematic music, plus a workout, plus somebody screaming and crying at the end because they released. I was always really drawn to that extreme stuff because I knew that I would be a calmer after the fact. So those are the things that always inspired me for it. And I knew that I needed a mental test. I always tell myself, I was like, you have to face your fears. So I used to have a fear of heights. And then I went to air assault school in the U.S. Army where you propel or excuse me, you repel from a helicopter. And then we would also go up and down walls and rock climbing and just all kinds of things where I would face my fear more and more, sitting with my legs hanging out of an Apache, out of a helicopter and all that. Like all those different times just made me calmer. And the more that people legitimately face their fear, like if it is fear of heights, I'm the type of person that's like, you got to face it to get over it. <laughs> you can't visualize hope, wish, pray, like Nothing's going to help to an extent until you face that fear. And it's just that confidence and calmness where they're like, whoa, I didn't die. Like, that's what my internal dialogue was. I'm like, hey, I'm still alive. My heart's okay. I'm not scared of a lot of things. And then I noticed that other areas of my life would elevate. So, yes, one was my dad. Two was compilation videos of 
military style that I would see and just seeing the way that men and women carried themselves that were in the military. They were just always very focused, calm, and they just always inspired me. I just love that, that energy of the good leaders. Now, you were awarded Soldier of the Year three times in your battalion and received numerous uh, physical training uh, PT awards. Um, now, that's a, that's, those are some great accomplishments, especially uh, Soldier of the Year in your battalion. Uh, how did it feel to receive those accolades? It felt empowering. And it was more so the competitive mentality of like me versus me. So you don't have to go up to the board, but in the U.S. Army, other branches, they're slightly different. But in the U.S. Army, if you want to go up for soldier of the year, battalion, company, whatever level it is, there are three main things that are involved. One is the fitness test. So whatever that consists of back then, it was the two mile run, two minutes of pushups, two minutes of sit-ups. Next thing is a written test. And you do all the written tests when you're sleep deprived. So it's not just like, hey, you just had a nice warm breakfast. You're going to go take this written test. It's after all the physical t activity, all the other mental challenges where they just see what you're made of. So if you've been sleep deprived, you're hungry, you're dehydrated, then you have to take a test. That's when you tap into another version of you. And it always interests me with that. And then three is you walk up to a door, you pound on it, they call you in. And then you have a series of some of the most highest rank officers and non-commissioned officers at a table, male and female. They're sitting there and they're basically like scolding you. And then they tell you to sit down and they just drill you with questions. And sometimes the questions are completely opposite. So they, they have your brain basically all over the place to see if you're going to crumble. So they're not drill sergeants. Nobody's yelling, but they're just asking you questions to see if you can remember this and that. So basically all the pressure. So constant pressure I thrived in because the elephant in the room at my house was always there at night. So I, I was living with constant pressure. So in the military, I thrived in it because I was like, oh, this is easy because they can't touch me. I would just play this mental game to myself. And I was like, well, I'm not intimidated by this chain of command where some of my buddies, they would be like, wow, you just went in there like there's 10 of them at a table. I was like, that, that's nothing like that's calm. It just didn't bother me as much. But looking back, I knew why. And looking at other people, I knew why it did bother them to go up to that 10 on one interview or drill questionnaire. So those are the things that that consisted of. And so it was more so an internal challenge to myself where I've always liked the uncomfortable stuff, because I feel like if I do stuff that is too comfortable for too long, I kind of lose that fire. <laughs> so. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but I just never wanted to lose that fire. So every few days or weeks, I'll always put myself in extreme situations, not dangerous, but I'd always test myself to make sure that I still feel alive and still feel that rush and that fire because it always spills into other areas of life. But literally, that's how we grow. So thing uh, to challenge yourself. Um, where can people find you on social media? So my favorite app is Instagram. I love the other ones, but on Instagram, it is fit with Derek two with the number two. And then on Facebook, it's the same thing, fit with Derek or Derek Johnson, same profile picture on everything. But um, those are my favorite. That's my favorite app. I use all of them. And my whole intent with the apps, especially with stories, I just show my morning routine and then make people think. It's my favorite thing. Make people stop and think about a set topic. 
And then from there with stories, I just show the morning routine. So it's more of a, hey, here's proof of consistency. And some of my buddies are like, hey, he's not going to wake up at four tomorrow. And every single day without fail, they're like, all right, he was up. He was up. He's at the gym. So it's more so getting into their mind to say, hey, here's proof of what happens when you're consistent. But that's where people could find me at. What is your one to grow on? What valuable piece of information would you like to leave our audience with? I would challenge people to say two things to themselves. So one, the scenario is your alarm goes off. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to get on another call. You don't want to go to the gym, whatever you don't want to do. In that moment before you hit snooze five times or you sit back down, say out loud or in your head, People depend on me. People depend on me. When you say that to yourself repeatedly, I say it every single day, multiple times, just to get that rush. But you're going to get chills. You might get emotional. You might think of your kids, clients, grandpa, great grandma that passed away a couple years, like whoever it is or whatever it is, you're going to think of others. And when you think of others, you show up better for yourself and you take care of yourself first and then you can serve others better. So it's interesting what happens because in a 10 minute span, you could go from, ah, I don't want to do it. Another case of the Mondays to I'm going to dominate this Monday. I'm going to show up better. I'm going to inspire this person at whatever the thing is that they do. And a whole shift happens. So one is to say out loud and in your head, people depend on me. Two is just going to be become the man or woman that you would be proud of and give him or her to the world. Become the man or woman that you would be proud of and give him or her to the world. Thank you for listening to The New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, The New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflornary.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.